Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply After the lights go out on Talk Sport I'm Leon McKenzie I've experienced life as both a Premier League footballer and a professional boxer And I'm Steve Harmison I represented England in 63 tests and 58 one-day internationals and won the Ashes twice with my country In this series we're focusing on elite athletes and their transition from professional sport to civilian life we both enjoyed the highs and lows unique to professional sport, a vocation which can lead to adulation and riches beyond the means of the vast majority of people. However, we also struggled with what followed when our respective careers came to an end. With the roar of the crowd becoming a fading memory and the adrenaline fuel lifestyle was no more. Tonight on TalkSport, we're joined by a man who made his professional football debut at the age of 15 for Peterborough United. He went on to represent Tottenham Hotspur, West Ham United and Stoke City Mr. Matthew Etherington. Short for Etherington. And Etherington struck it brilliantly. What a goal by Matthew Etherington. This is a lovely one to Etherington. And Matthew Etherington scores his first goal of the season. Given away. Chance for Etherington. A phenomenal strike from Matty Etherington. Well, Matthew will join us in a moment, but Leon, tonight's programme is going to be somewhat different to the others in the series, with the main theme, addiction, more specific, gambling addiction. Can't wait to listen to, to Matthew. I don't know anything about addiction as such uh, from a gambling point of view, but I am very familiar with addiction in terms of what I used to do to make myself feel alive again and and myself in places where I felt lost and I just wanted to feel a little bit free within myself now I've known Matt to be quite a quiet lad so I'm just really looking forward to to hearing him speak yeah the the addiction side of it coming from cricket we didn't have as much and I think a lot of it comes down to the financial ramifications you get in the sport you're playing and I think that in football was especially at Premier League level was was quite huge and in the era that Matthew played in there was a lot of people who talked about addictions there was a lot of alcoholism involved you can think of the, the high profile ones of the likes of Tony Adams and and Paul Merson but gambling was in in football you you played yeah in the Premier League Leon and there was a lot of gambling in that era Correct. Yeah, I mean, like I say, there was gambling that was going on when I was when I was playing for sure. Um, but to the extent of where Matthew ended up, that is what I want to hear about today, and I want to hear his story and how he's turning his life around. Well, let's welcome tonight's guest on After the Lights Go Out. It's a very good evening to my former teammate Matthew Everington. How you doing, bro? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Very good. 
How you doing, Matthew? Hi, hi, Steve. How are you? Very, very well. Good. Great to have you on. A um, little bit different to when we was playing. <laughs> I remember when you was a a shining kid coming through, and what a talent you were. Matthew, after your career came to an end, you announced your retirement in 2014. Yeah. What was your decision around that and why? And how was your emotions dealing with retiring? Because when I had to retire, I wasn't ready for it. Emotionally, mm. just totally feared the fact of what I'm going to do next. How did you feel? Pretty similar, if I'm being honest with you. It was a very spontaneous decision, um, one that my wife didn't agree with. And in hindsight, she was 100% right. Um, I, I was really struggling with my back. I'd had a, I'd been at Stoke for five and a half years and felt like I'd, I'd given a lot to the club. They'd given a lot to me as well. But I felt a kind of rejection that they didn't want to extend my contract. Then I went in at West Ham under Sam Allardyce and did really well for a week or two. But my back was a big problem for me and that flared up again and went to Millwall for a day. You could hardly get out of the car on the way home from training. Um, so I decided to call it a day because one, I think I was... Not used to rejection, whether it be from West Ham or Millwall not seeing me at my best or Stoke City not renewing my contract. Um, and two, I was angry at my body probably for giving up on me a little bit. And I thought, right, that's it, I'm done. Whereas my wife was going, well, don't make any hasty decisions here. Let's just give it a bit of time. You can easily play like League One, League Two, still earn a living. Um, and, and then we can plan for the future. Um, I'm one of them people that makes... Good, rightly or wrongly, spontaneous decisions from time to time. I like to think I'm a little bit better now as, as I'm getting older, but um, I just thought, no, I'm, I'm done with it. And I wasn't ready, nowhere near ready to, to retire from football. When my body was breaking down, it's like your body's saying, I can't yeah. do this no more, and your mind is really trying. Yeah. I totally feel and empathise with you when your your back's going, because you was mm. actually offered a new deal by Ian Holloway, wasn't you? Yeah, you well, we contract. were in talks, yeah, but I literally went for training for one day. And I don't just know. Just one day? Yeah, I, I was on the way. It was a hard session. I'd been keeping myself in shape. And um, it was a long drive from, from where I lived in um, Hertfordshire to South London. And on the way home, I, I tried to get out of the car after this tough session that we'd done on the first day at Millwall. And I, I had to pe literally peel myself out of the car. My back was in pieces. And, and also, I thought to myself as well, there's a large part of myself was going... Do you need to be going through this pain every like I have been for the last two, three, four years? So there, there was that side of it as well. It was just getting me down in general. Well, Matty, I can relate to that because my the thing that hit me was my hamstring, but my back was the one that plagued me for four or five years. Probably I played four years after finishing playing international cricket, and it's a horrible injury to have because it affects the rest of your body. But I've, I, I felt as well, it also offended me emotionally because I couldn't do what I used to be able to do. Because I was such a stubborn and strong personality, I was like, I was trying my best, but it just it just wasn't working. But that was starting to affect me emotionally and mentally more than more than it was physically by the end of my career. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think the nail on the head where you said that, because it becomes so debilitating that I knew I wasn't the player that I once was as well and I was getting progressively worse. That's probably the wrong term to use, but that, that's what the way I felt and, and that was hard to accept as well. I couldn't do what I used to be able to do and, and, and accepting that alongside all the other stuff plus not preparing for this eventuality was the worst thing that could have happened really. When you knew in your head, I've got to retire, mm. you wasn't really ready to retire no. as such. I look back on this now and, and think, why? Why did I not prepare? Why did I not plan? When I know so many in my shoes 
similar to me that did. Um, and I think it was because so much I had so much going on towards the end of my career. I'd only just become a recovering gambling addict for my last four years at Stoke. So before that was a lot of turmoil going on in my life, trying to come out the other side of that. And I was just happy, I think, in those four years to live a stress-free, happy, successful life on and off the pitch. And I just wasn't ready for it. I think it, it wasn't... I probably was. It was a little bit silly in hindsight, but I, I was just happy living the life I was currently living because the the previous years had been so traumatic um, and stressful. So that was probably the reason, to be honest. And mate, did did you seek or find or offered any help with that from either former teammates, former managers, professional footballers association to deal with the next steps that you had? No, I'll be completely honest. None whatsoever. And. You know, I'm currently involved in academy football, and there's there's loads of life skill programs that that they get given to them um, every week, whether it be in regards to to racism and equality or or anything, um, driving, what have you, preparing financially if you do make it for before and after football. None of that in in our regards to being in the professional ranks and preparing yourself for what's on the other side. Basically, you know, you get it when you get released from your contract, you get. Um, an extra month's um, grace salary um, and that gets paid at the end of July and then that money you've been earning completely um, you, know, you never see again so you're not earning that money anymore which is a big fall from grace again if, if, you, if you prepare yourself correctly then that shouldn't be a problem but not everybody mm-hmm. does and, and, and that's the issue and, and there is no call off the club as a courtesy call thank you for your five and a half years in my case at Stoke City um, no call from the chairman no call from the chief executive you, you've got players obviously you're close to and you speak to and but yeah, in in that regards, um, there's not a lot of help, and it it feels like in many respects, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but you d- you just put onto the scrap heap, and and is about next next player coming in, and what can they do for the football club? I think the question for yeah for Matthew Etherington is what was the next step in your life like when you did finish playing? You you did you were retired, you have made that decision. What was a day to day life like for you, Matty? It was tough. I'll be I'll be completely honest. It it was. Probably my one saving grace, I think it could have been a lot worse, and I mean a lot, a lot worse, was that um, me and my wife Stephanie, we had a little girl, Rini, who's six now, and she was born in 2014. It gave me a purpose, it gave me a reason to get up every morning, whereas if I hadn't had that, and I'd retired from football, and I've got no structure in my life, no schedule, no reason to, to be getting up every morning, I, I think, although I did struggle for the next couple of years after after retirement, I think it could have been a lot, lot worse. So I think that was a divine intervention, so to speak. That you know she was there and she was born and and, it, and you know and she was the reason for me to 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 be living at that time. And and that's is that's that's the way it felt to me. Mm, that purpose. I mean, my my mm. children are my everything as well. So they bring me that purpose yeah. to want to get up every day and yeah. and obviously continue to try. When you retired, you said, right, I'm done, mm. right. After that initial process, yeah, what did you do the next thing? I probably played golf five times a week for three months, and I thought, oh, this is a life. Like, still got my month's <laughs> my month's wage from Stoke. I'm still fit, felt in relatively good shape, and still had enough resources around me where I could do that for now. Not mm. thinking about the bigger picture, as I I tend to not do, especially during those years. Um, so I, I enjoyed myself for three months and then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, wow. what next? Yeah, but for yeah. three months straight after retirement, I thought, this is this is the one. Like, I'm loving this and this is, you know, but again, going back to reality, 
actually thinking what does the next 10 years look like I didn't I never thought like that and, and that was that was the problem Matthew during this series we've spoken with sports personalities about a wide range of issues including severe depression anxiety loss of identity serious injury and suffering from sexual abuse but your major issue in your life was gambling and the gambling addiction. What forms of gambling were you taking part in? How did it really first grab you? Um, it got to the point when I was in the height of my addiction that I'd literally gamble on anything. That I'd be up in the middle of the night betting on basketball games in the States that I had no clue about. Um, that that's, that's where it got to eventually. But for me, it started off, you know, I, I was born in Cornwall, the most beautiful, tranquil place in in the UK, in my opinion, and, and you know, a beautiful life being brought up, very, very lucky. Um, and then we decided to move to, to Peterborough when I was 12 years old to, to give me the best shot of, of making it as a professional footballer because I had a talent. And it, even then, never even thought, or my, my, my family weren't gamblers. It just came around when I moved to, to Tottenham when I was 18 years old from Peterborough. And we were looking for houses at that time to, to relocate um, and the club were helping with that. But me and Simon, who, who moved together, Simon Davis, we were holed up in the Marriott Hotel, albeit a lovely hotel and, you know, very lucky. But three, three months in a hotel as, as young kids at 18, I think Simon was 19, 20, comes very boring. Um, and you're home from training at half one, two o'clock. Again, great life, I get that. Listeners will be thinking. But you, there is a lot of spare time on your hands. Mm. And I found myself looking at the Evening Standard one night uh, the Walthamstow dog car was on there and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go along and have a look. Um, and I went on my own because I needed a bit of time away from Cy who was driving each other crazy. And um, I loved it. I loved the Greyhounds. I, I loved the, the concept of it. It was proper East End old school and I kind of, for some reason, even though I was a young lad from Cornwall, it resonated to me. And I fell in love with, with Greyhound racing. Uh, I ended up buying four, five, six Greyhounds further down the line, three, four years down the line. And, You'd see me there, Walthamstow Dogs, Tuesday, Thursdays, Romford, Wednesday, sorry, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, somewhere on a Saturday night as well. I, I just fell in love with the sport, albeit that comes with um, me becoming a, a gambling addict as well and then spending a fortune on the game. Would you say you started the gambling process at Peterborough? No, never had a bet. It was after? It was, it was after you left Peterborough? That was my first bet was at Walthamstow Dogs when I moved, moved to Tottenham. You mentioned boredom. Yeah. Did you feel a little bit kind of lonely? Yeah, I was lonely. Yeah, my mum my was still back in Peterborough, my sister as well. My mum and dad had separated when I was quite, um, when I was 12. Um, so my dad was even further up north. Um, so yeah, I did feel lonely. A few triggers there. Yeah, definitely. Kind of. Yeah, definitely. So you're at Tottenham now. You've gone to Tottenham now, a massive club. Did you feel, I'm at a massive club now, pressure's on. Mm-hmm. Let me take take the pressure off, and maybe you saw gambling as a bit of a freedom situation as a release. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I completely get that, and maybe you're right because I remember New Year's Day we, we signed for the club um, for Spurs, and New Year's Day we we went to the first game at, at White Hart Lane, and uh, me and Sai were walking up, proud as punch as you would be, and get a program. Our faces are on the front of the program, new signings and all that. They got Liverpool at home, and I remember watching the game full house. David Ginola's playing for Spurs and I'm thinking and he was unbelievable on the day Spurs won the game and I think I've got no chance of getting in front of him <laughs> no, he was that good he was some player David Ginola like, yeah. he, was, he was frightening but yeah so that was and then I was thinking right I've got levels to go here before I'm, I'm at this you know it was a real wake up call so maybe then I thought 
it, it was just a release and something release, just to take yeah. my mind off it completely. And, and I, you know, I do that now, but in, in a lot better ways. When I'm at home and been working all week and, and coaching and, and there's a lot going on, on a Sunday, I, I make sure that's the time now where I just spend it with my family and the kids and go out for walks and just try and switch off as best as possible because, you know, I think that's invaluable and maybe that was my switch off. So, Matty, when do you think gambling became a major problem in your life, like literally started to take over it? I'd probably say into my second to third year at West Ham. So I was at Spurs for three years, three and a half years, and I moved to West Ham um, in, in the summer. They'd just been relegated to the championship. And um, I was gambling then, but I wasn't gambling um, to excess and, and getting myself in debt. Um, that, that probably came another couple of years into my time at West Ham where I actually started off really well there and, and was really enjoying my time. But it was it was snowballing, as all addictions do. And, and you don't realise it before you, before you know it. You, you, you're really, really in a, in a lot of trouble. And, and that's that's the way it happened for me. West Ham, another big club. Mm. Right, so you've got the West Ham now. Yeah. I know when I used to travel away with the boys... I never really got involved with all the cards games mm. and stuff and that, that all the, the the gambling things that went on the on the coaches because <laughs> number one I didn't have enough money and number two just didn't know how to play the games. At the same time, I think there's a major problem. I'm not sure what it's like now, but when we was playing, yeah. there's a major problem, and I think maybe things could be addressed and and certain players could be saved from the gambling process on the coaches away and so forth. Now, at West Ham, I know there would have been a few people involved with, with gambling and gambling lots of money. Yeah. Do you feel things could have been different if someone would have said, you know what, actually, we're not doing that today on the coach or we're, we're no, going to stop this? Found a way, I think. You would have found a way, would have found a way. Yeah, see? Yeah. I, I remember a story in Palermo away, right? In, we're playing the Europa League qualifier. Well, what is the Europa League now? And um, Alan Pardew was a manager at the time and he cottoned on that there's a lot of money being gambled in our card school. Um, five or six players. And, and any one time there could be anything between five and 20 grand in a pot, cash, right? So he, he's trying to stop this. So we go to one of the players' rooms and we're in the room of an afternoon. We're meant to be going for a walk at half four. We're in a beautiful city, a beautiful place. Um, Sicily and we're in this hotel room after lunch from 12.30 till pre-match at half four and I, I walk at half four so four hours solid cooped mm. up in a room playing and it got really really out of hand where players we, we've got an important Europa League qualifier just around the corner in, in a few hours time and, and we're gambling a lot tens of thousands of pounds against each other and people are celebrating there was one I won't say his name he was celebrating after every handy one, and I was I was in the midst of my my gambling addiction now. Yeah. And but every time he won a handy, he was yes yes, and I wanted to wring his neck, you know. But I'm meant to be playing out on the pitch of him in a few hours time, and and when you look back on it now, like it's so not this healthy. Is before the game. This is this is but this is hours before, before a game. Before the game. Before a game, you know. And then there was one massive hand just before we're meant to go down for a walk and, and pre match, and whoever's won the hand is literally jumping up in the air and the other person's sitting there and like the tension and the anger in the room considering we had a game in a few hours time wasn't right and it wasn't just me that had a problem in that room there was two or three and, and that is without a shadow of a doubt mm. um, and, but that was the, the lengths that it was going to and it wasn't right when you look back on it now and the manager tried to stop it but going back to your point if he can try all he likes but if the players have, you know, and you've got three or four players that have an issue with gambling, have complications with the addiction, 
then they're going to do it anyway. So you're saying you, you'd, you'd find We'd a way? We'd found a way. Mm. Went to someone's room. Why do you think the gambling got a hold of Matthew Etherington? Uh, this, is, this is a question that I always I struggle to answer because it hurts me. I think, as I alluded to earlier, my parents separating hurt me. A broken home's never good for any, for any child, I, I, um, in my opinion. Albeit, it doesn't affect others in, in the way it affects some others. But and also on my twenty first birthday, we had Spurs away, and for Tottenham, and I scored a goal, scored my first Premier League goal. I was going back to my house with family to to have a gathering and a few drinks and a barbecue because it's August fourteenth, and um, I've got on the bus and got a phone call from a number I don't recognise. I was thinking I'll, I'll leave that because I was, I was literally on cloud nine, as you can imagine. I, I just scored my first Premier League goal. We won the game, played really well. Um, and then it rang again and again and again. So I, I ended up answering it. And um, it was a credit card company. And I was only just starting to earn good money at the time. And I thought, strange, I ain't got any credit cards. And then they, they'd mentioned that I'd, I did have credit cards with them and I had a 60 grand debt with them. I was thinking, you've got the wrong person here. It can't be me. This You must have the wrong person. And I, know, I said, can I have the address? When they gave me the address, it was address of a family member. And they basically, behind my back, without even asking me for money, they'd just been struggling financially and gone behind my back, forged my signatures and been getting out credit out in my name. And I thought at that point then, well, I called them straight away and they started denying it. And then it come out a day or two later that they, they admitted to it. But it, that really, really, about two years later after that, that's when my addiction or hit the height of my addiction but that 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 cut me deep because I thought if I can't trust you who can I trust you know I'm I'm just coming to this big crazy world of Premier League football I'm looking for the closest people around me to stick with me stick tight to me because I'm going on a journey that I don't know a lot about and um, that that cut me and it hurt me a lot and it took me a long time to get over and I think that was the main trigger for me to then eventually go on and, and go into my height. And this was a close addiction. family member. Yeah, I, I, I should say they are because my, the rest of my family aren't going to be happy with me, but I, I just can't. I just didn't know how anyone could do that. And, and they could have come to me and I, I didn't have that money at the time because I was just finding my way in, in, in the game and as a young Premier League player. But, you know, just to, to ask the question would have been nice, but to do it behind my back, I just found it so deceitful, so devious, and it really, really, really hurt me. Matty, when when you, you're going through the... the peak of the gambling addiction can you remember a day that was probably like such a grueling worst day for you where you're just like oh my gosh like i just cannot cope with this right now uh god there's there was quite a few mates to be honest with you give me one okay um where it came to the end and they say about a rock bottom i i hit many a rock bottom i had an aston martin db9 that i couldn't afford my life was an absolute car crash i, I wasn't paying bills I was I was waking up every day and the first thing I was thinking about this is this is when I was ready to pop one way or the other um, and I had no responsibility my responsibilities were nil as in paying bills anything I was on a 30 30 grand a week at Stoke at the time in the Premier League and I got to the second week of the month midway through the second week of the month and through all my gambling and the money I was lending people off and the interest that I was paying on it midway into my second week I had no money left on a 30 grand a week contract. So I, oh I was God. driving in my Aston Martin towards the bookmakers and I had about 12 quid in loose change in the compartment in, my, in, in the car. And the petrol gauge was on empty and 
I thought, right, well, that £12, as all gamblers think, I can make that £12 into £100, I can make that £100 into a grand, and then I'll be fine for the rest of the month, and, you know, just absolutely deluded. But that's the way a gambler's mind thinks. Gambler's mind thinks, sorry. And um, I thought, if I go to the bookmakers now, I've got no way of getting home. But I took that chance because I wanted to have that £12 bet. I had that £12 bet, didn't win, tried to drive home, that car ran out of petrol, I had no way of getting home. So I had to walk home and leave the car there at the side of the road. My missus came home from work later that day and we had to go and pick it up. And at that point, it was probably a week or two later, I, my family had an intervention with me, but I thought, this is getting ridiculous now. Um, and and that, was, that was a real low. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. After the lights go out, Leon McKenzie and Steve Harmison in conversation with Matthew Etherington on Talk Sport. Matthew, we spoke a moment ago about your descent into gambling addiction. How did your road to recovery start, that fight back, and how did you tell your family? It was, you hear about it all the time, it was an intervention. First and foremost, when I left West Ham and joined Stoke City, it was on the premise that I wasn't gambling anymore. I told a little white lie to Tony Pulis, but it worked out well for the both of us in the end. But I didn't stop until four or five months into my time, I believe, at Stoke City. And it was basically, it was getting to the point where I couldn't hide it anymore. I think compulsive gamblers are really good at hiding their emotions, their feelings, because they're not an outwardly, you can't look at them like an alcoholic or a drug addict and think they're in trouble. Whereas a gambler, you can you can hide a lot of emotions um, and, and I was doing that to the best of my ability, but after a few years, it, it really becomes a bit too much, and it was with me. It was obvious. My now wife, Stephanie, was my girlfriend at the time, could see it. And she organised, a, like I said, an intervention where my mum turned up, my, my dad, my sister, and, and Stephanie, and, and they all sat around the table and um, had been reading various sto- no- newspaper stories about me in the press, um, all of which I denied to them and saying I was a load of rubbish, etc. And most of them were crying around the table. And I never realised, because as a gambler, you're very, very selfish. A compulsive gambler is hugely selfish. I never realised the effect I was having on them. And to see them in, in that state, what I was doing to them without even knowing it, because of my selfishness, was really, really tough. 
it, it kind of really hit home then. And then it was about, right, how are we going to work this out? The debt you're in, my mum and, and um, my dad said they'll take over the, the, the financial side of it to pay off debts, um, to, to pay my bills and just go and concentrate on your football. To just go and do what you do best and concentrate on your football. And just telling them was a huge weight off my shoulders. I wanted to do it for a long time, but I didn't have the courage within me to do it. But doing it, was huge for me and huge for my my mental well-being and, and then from then on that next season at Stowe City I got I got player of the year I was playing some of my best football of my career and I really started to fly again um, FA Cup final playing in Europe again and, and it you know life was good again and I was on an up, upward trajectory but it needed that and I'll never forget that and I'll, I'll be forever thankful to my family for for doing it and Matthew, you've got your family's intervention. You mentioned mm. a name there just a second ago. How big was he involved in all this? And that's Tony Pulis because you've now got you know, help from the family. You're yeah. on a road to recovery. Yeah. But you need a, a, a manager and a, and a place where you feel as though you're comfortable being. And mm. how big was Tony Pulis in that? He was because he believed in me. And for me, I, I was all, as a player, I was always at my best when I knew the manager believed in me. And, and believe that I could contribute to the team, and and I had that with him. Um, he believed in me hugely, and he got the best out of me. Just as Alan Pardew, to be fair to him, did at did at West Ham also. That they were both two managers that believed in me hugely, and and I played my best football under them. Could you talk to them about you know, the problems that you had? Not really. No. Um, Tony Pulis was all focused on training and performance, and and, and on match day. Um, he, he never wanted you to get too high when when you were doing really well and I scored the first goal in an FA Cup semi-final got man of the match against Bolton we won 5-0 and I remember coming in the next day and he was like that's, that's gone you're only as good as your, your next performance not your last one and he was kind of that mindset he was so mm. driven every single day to get the best out of his team that, that, that the personal issues although he would ask how's your family and that you could tell it was, wasn't all about that really it was about you in, as an individual and, and as a team unit and getting the best mm. out of you That must have been hard for you though feeling all what you're feeling inside knowing you've got this serious gambling addiction and you mm. can't actually express it to your manager really no. um, or even you know I mean get to your family was was hard enough to try and yeah. express that I always say this I mean I speak all over to do with mental health and I always use this term about Pinocchio's nose so what you're showing me now and you're educating myself is I always used to say there's no Pinocchio's nose for depression because you can't visually see the signs right when someone's going through what they're going through or they're feeling suicidal or whatever it is so from a gambling aspect then there is no Pinocchio's nose for gambling then because you're saying you was a pretty good actor then yeah without a doubt I was acting every day of my life I can always tell now I've got friends that like a punt every now and again and I kind of try and distance myself from that talk but you hear it you can you hear it all the time even if you're in a pub with your mates you always hear about the winning bets always hear about the, the people oh, I've had this bet and it's come in this accumulator and it's come in you never hear about the losers and, and, and that's just a fact of gambling that's the way mm. I used to be I used to tell everybody I'd, I'd won a lot of money through, through this bet and that bet but I didn't tell them that I'd lost probably 20 times that the week before and that's just what gamblers do I do some work with Sporting Chance. I believe you had mm. a period of time going to Sporting Chance. Yeah. How did you find that when you first went? Brilliant setup, um, brilliant concept. Just for me at that time, that they gave me the tools to to be able to stop. And I went for one-on-one sessions in London with their counsellors as well. But the, the time that I'd been there before, um, I just wasn't ready. And I think that's the key to 
to any issue that you have in your life, whether it be depression, mental health, or um, addictions that that you hear all the time, but it, it's so true. It has to come from within you. Mm. It can't be from your mum or your dad or your, your best friend or your children. It's it's got to come from from deep within you that you genuinely want to stop. You're not just doing it because you've been asked to do it mm. and you don't really want to do it. It has to come from deep within. And, and at that time when I went to Sporting Chance, although they did give me a lot of tools to help me further down the line, um, I wasn't ready to stop. It was the next step, Matthew, you went and went public on your gambling problems. Was that the next step in your road to recovery, that if I get it out there, I feel I'm not so much a lot better about myself, yeah. but I think, right, the next step in getting better and not having any more bets was to, to tell everybody in the world. <laughs> Do you know what? I've just found from with me that the more I talk about it, more it helps me because yeah. it reminds me of where I was and 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 where I am now and and that's just me it might work differently differently for other people but for me it helps and days like today will help me as well moving forward when when I'm on the way home that I just realize that the place that I was in and how bad it was and where I'm at now and how good it is and and, and that's that's why I I do I don't and I don't talk about it nowhere near as much now as I used to but I just felt at that time it was it just gave me peace of mind just to talk about it and get it off my chest because I'd built so much up over the years and I kept everything inside me and, and, and that was the reason for really coming out and talking about it. Do you know the thing that helped me the most, and it's it's a fairly simple saying, that, but that when, when I was going through and trying to come out the other side of, of my addiction and, and, and recovering from gambling was a day at a time. Because yeah. I, I was so scared of what's what's next and what's further down the line. But a day at a time for me, I thought, okay, I can work with that. Go for today. Let's get through today. The height of my addiction, it literally was my life. Gambling was my life. It, it completely and utterly, even though I was Premier League football at the time, taken over everything. And it was too much for me to think about how do I stop this? Because I didn't have a clue. And it was scary. It really scared me. So a day at a time helped. So mm. I thought, right, for, for today, I won't have a bet. And then mm. that day becomes a week and months, et cetera, and, and, and the yeah. rest you can deal with. It. And the rest, thankfully, has been really good. But that day at a time saying helped. Do you think gambling today within football is, is still a major problem? I think there is a, a problem with compulsive gambling in society as a, as a whole. But also there are loads of people out there that can have a bet or go to the horses or go into the bookmakers and have a bet and afford what they can lose and enjoy it. And and they love that for that um, and, and they live for that, which is absolutely fine. But I do think there is a a general issue in in society with, with gambling and, and especially um, young people with gambling as well. Is that the internet? Do you think that's... Yeah, I, I think that, it's adverts help? as well. I think you see a lot of it and that doesn't help, whether it be in ad breaks, commercials, um, and and all over the internet as regards to the advertising of gambling. And like I said, the, the people that can do it and, and do it for a hobby, absolutely brilliant and good luck to them. But th th there's also a huge amount of people that, that have a huge compulsive gambling mm. issue. Mate, where do you stand with the you know football and the sports broadcasting industries taking money from betting industries um, in the form of sponsorship and advertising? Money talks, mate. You know, unfortunately, it's the world we live in. I don't think there's much thought given to whether there's an industry where I'd say, you know, a percentage of footballers have have massive problems with with gambling. When I was at West Ham, 
that there was representatives from gambling companies that would come in with with cards with special account numbers on them, saying that you can have X amount of, of credit with them and, and go and bet with them, knowing that you're a Premier League footballer. Well, for me, that's um, exploitation. That's yeah. probably a story for another day, but that's that's what happens, unfortunately, and that's the world we're living. Money talks, and, and it's any way of making a pound note. What would you like to see change within like the regulations of, of betting companies within the UK? What would you like to see? What would Matthew Everington like to change if uh, he could? You know, we we see it now, and like I was going back to earlier, you see with with the gambling advertising, there's when the fun stops, stop. It's literally for half a second at the end of the advert. I'd like to see that maybe out of a thirty second advert for five seconds at least. And just give you the other side of it. This is what could happen, or this is a number, or this is someone speaking on on as a personal account. What can happen to you if you gamble? Like I said, it doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to quite a few also that they do have a huge, huge issue with it, and it ruins lives. Matthew, how is life for you today in terms of your addiction? Do you still occasionally feel as though you have the urge to have a bet? And like you mentioned before, what drives you on today? Um, no, I'll be honest with you, life's as good as I could have wished for when I retired in 2014. Um, I've got a new purpose in my life, got a new focus, I've got a new drive. I feel like a former 14-year-old, 15-year-old version of myself where I've got something to aim for again. And, and I'm, I know I'm extremely lucky to have that. Um, as regards to my gambling, um, no, nothing. I'm, I'm very, very busy. I'm really, really focused at... I genuinely feel that that's a, although I need to keep it in check and and realise what I am and what I have been, I don't really give it a moment's thought anymore, which for me is amazing because mm. I never thought I'd get to that point. I used to always think about my next bet, what meetings are on today, um, what dog track I'm going to tonight. That, that That's just not nowhere near my mind at the minute and my mind space mm. um, I'm a coach now um, within an uh, under 18 lead manager at Peter United and I'm enjoying it it's full on so it's keeping me busy I'm currently on my pro license candidate so I've done my B license and A license and I'm on my pro license now I'm really really enjoying the coaching journey which I never thought that I'd say mm. I'll be honest I never thought I'd ever be a coach because it's a different set of skills different mindset to being a player completely mm. different but I'm enjoying the challenge and that's all I can ask for. And, and where that will take me, who knows? But uh, I'm, in, I'm enjoying the journey so far. What advice would you give to a footballer now that may be where you were once upon a time? Mm. It's such... And, and I used to hear this all the time and I used to think, yeah, yeah, whatever, talking nonsense. But your career's over before you know it. And then that is probably the... It, you've, again, probably heard it a million times, but that's so true. I th- always thought to myself, even when I was gambling, it's okay. I'll I'll stop in a few years. I still have another five, six years to earn my proper money and 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 live a nice, easy life and don't have to work again or whatever. Just completely deluded nonsense that, that the thoughts going through my head. But that's that's the way I thought. And before I knew it, I was I was retiring at thirty-two years old. Um, and, and that would be the biggest advice: is, is seize every day. Try and, and I say it to the, to the players we have now, um, at Peterborough. It's literally, you know, don't waste a day. Do not waste a day because that day wasted is a day that someone else is, is making the most out of and becoming better than you. And um, and and any time they do waste days, I'm, I'm calling them up on it because it's such a hard game to make a career out of first and foremost. And, and I was lucky enough to do that and play in the Premier League and, and play a few hundred games in the Premier League. But I forgot about the the hard work and the toil and the sacrifice it took me to get there. And I forgot about that. And, and that was the thing that 
the, probably the biggest regret I had in my career. Steve, just, just, just before you come in, I'm going to just challenge you now, Matt, right? Mm. Because totally understand everything you're saying, right? But you see when you're going through that transition of injury after injury and, you know, when you, your your mind is breaking down as well as your body, where do you stand in the advice where, you know, if someone is really trying to see their career mm. in the best way they can, mm. but the uncontrollable is what it is, right? Mm. Sometimes we can't control certain things. Like you couldn't control that time you tried to get out of your car yeah. and your back just yeah. said, no, thank you. Mm. Where does it stand then with the advice that you give to someone that is emotionally broken? And they're doing everything they can. Doing everything they can. Because I was like that. I've done everything yeah. I can to be yeah. fit. I've done everything I could to be on that field. Mm. But my body said no. Yeah. So now my mind also started deteriorating and started bailing on me. Where do you stand with See, that? Yeah, I'd, I mean? I'd rather I'd rather have that when I look back on my career now than what I have because at least you know you've given everything you could. Life's not fair sometimes. Life throws at us some, some stuff that's, that's not fair. But if you know in your own head that you've done everything you can to have played another game of football or to play another 10 games of football, mm. then for me, that's solace and, and, I, and I can live with that. Whereas I struggled when I retired because I thought that I didn't get the best out of my ability. Yes, I got to where I wanted to get to, but I think without what happened with my gambling addiction in, in really a key stage in my career, I think I was good enough and, and I showed glimpses of form where I was good enough to get an England cap. And I'd play for England and England under 18s, 19s, 20s, 21s, and and that's a regret of mine. And I've got to live with that now for the rest of my life. I've accepted it and moved on, but there's still it's still a nagging doubt that I've got in my head. Whereas if I knew I did everything I could and I wasn't quite good enough, mm. and I trained to the best of my ability every day, and I did the right things away from the pitch, and I still didn't get an England squad, I could live with that, or it'd be easier to live with. Does that make sense? Yeah, acceptance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that. Matt, you've written your book, which you yet to be published. Mm. Um, first of all, how did you feel doing it? And what do you think your former teammates, fans of the clubs you played for, what do you think their reactions is going to be to the, your, <clears throat> the Matthew Etherington story? Well, hopefully it can get published, and I'm still hoping, but there's been a few legal wranglings alongside it um, as regards to the story that I told you about earlier and the family member and not them not wanting to be named and, and, and other issues in regards to the debts that I had when... I was gambling, but I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. It helped me. It was therapeutic, hugely therapeutic, and it reminded me of the place that I was in and, and how strongly I feel about going back there and never wanting to go back there. So so in that respect, and I feel like it would be a really good book and a real eye-opener, but it just didn't feel like it was the right time, or it doesn't feel like it's the right time because of the, the legal issues mm. that we've got. Hopefully sometime in the future it, it will be out there and... Um, I'll, I'll see what the reaction is. I look forward to reading. It'd be great to to hear your story and so mm. many others to hear. I think it's you know educational, but yeah. at the same time honest, and it would be great to hear with the family member that could potentially come to the forefront. Then, mm. how how do you feel about that? Because that's a family member of yours. Yeah, you've got to also be true to yourself and your family. But at the yeah. same time, when someone's done wrong, yeah. they've done wrong. Where yeah. does it? Where do you stand with that? I forgave them the first time. And uh, it was fine, and we had a decent enough relationship for, for the next four or five years. So you say the first time it's happened more than once? Yeah, this well, yeah. So, and okay. now, and, and about three, four years ago now it happened again. So that was it for me, once bitten, twice shy, so I don't speak to that person anymore. 
Um, Sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, like, but it's, it's what life throws at you, isn't it? You know, it, it, it hurts. I'm not going to lie. It kills me, but um, I've, I've learned to deal with it. I just feel as though, even though they're a loved one and, and you'd love them in your life, sometimes mm. they don't... I, I've got to the point now, as you get older, you get a little bit more sentimental. What joy do the, your family members or the ones closest to you bring to your life? And that person was bringing me no joy, nothing but negativity and trouble and anger and anxiety. So you've got to cut your ties at the end of the day. As hard as that is, and it is hard, that's the decision I made. And that's what it is. Ambitions from Matthew Everton. Where do your ambitions stand? Do you want to become a manager? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to be a first team manager, mate. I'm, I'm doing the stuff with the under-18s now and I feel like it's going well. We're, we're being relatively successful um, you know, we're getting players into the first team and we've got, a, you know, some really, really good young players at the football club that are flourishing. So ultimately, that's my job and it's going well. I want to be a first team manager one day. That, that, that's the end game. Um, and, and I want to try and have a better managerial career than I did professional career, playing career. Whether that's possible or not, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I feel like, although I never thought, felt like I'd be a coach, I feel like it, it's um, something that I feel like I can do it. So mm. that's half the battle. Some players say that, you know, they've tried it and it's not for them. For me, I've tried it and I'm enjoying it and I'm thriving and I'm getting better, I feel. So we'll see. We'll see. But formed I, a I partnership. Wanna... He formed a partnership with Simon Davis yeah. on the pitch and now We've he's gone full part... circle. Yeah, yeah exactly, formed a partnership yeah. coaching. Yeah, we're, we're close. We're good friends. Simon's a good person. Simon's a really compassionate person. So he's got he's that side to him. He's a top man. And he, he's, he's, got a, he's a really, really good person and, and obviously from West Wales very grounded and he's just a good person to work with and drive to in the car every day good golfer as well and, and a ridiculously good golfer <laughs> <yeah>. annoyingly good <laughs> Matty when you talked about there you talk about we want to be the manager mm. and you say you want to be a better manager than you were as a player well that that'll be some manager because you weren't a bad player to be fair but yeah. will your playing career the pitfalls that you had the injuries you had the addictions everything will that make you a better manager because you can identify with the signs of players inside a dressing room, young players, old players, you know, see the, the, the pitfalls that potentially could come in a dressing room, could, which could split a dressing room, which could be the making or breaking of any manager stroke coach. Yeah, I think it, it could hugely um, help me down, down, the, down the line. Seeing it in every single individual and, and what they're going through as a manager can be nigh and impossible because you're dealing with a group of 20, 25, 30 players. But I've got the experience and I'd like to think that even with with our under 18s now that me and Simon are quite open and honest and mm. and and they can come and speak to us at any time with any issues they've got um and I like to be think that I'd be like that in, in a first team environment as well and I think that's the way you need to go these days I think people need to speak to people and and you know there's it's quite an ego driven business football but I think it's okay to talk and I think we're coming out the side other side with a little bit more empathy towards towards players towards coaches and mm. and hopefully vice versa with the fans as well that's what I'm going to finish on I just want to say to you right personally I'm proud of you to hear you speak openly you know from the heart being honest and just keeping it real I'm super proud of you I'm so pleased that you are involved in coaching now and you know finding a purpose in what you still love to do but in a different area so I just want to say thank you so much for coming on it's going to be much appreciated and uh, Steve, what do you no, think? I think it's, but it's been again, fantastic. Leon. Again, Leon, we we talk about it at the end of every show. It's fascinating. If we can tell the story that somebody that's supported and 
you know, worship Matthew Etherington or anybody that's come on and see them in a, in a light, in a true light as a human being. Because I think that is what's lost in a lot of sport and a lot of sports stars, uh, the human element of, of what they do. And it's been fascinating to hear honestly and openly about the, the addictions that you've had, Matthew. And I personally think if you put... The guys that we've had on in this show, you put them in a half an hour workshop and send them around every sports and academy around the country. I think you would get a lot of not only good response, but hopefully people opening their minds about what their careers are going to have because there is a human element to, to, to sport and life. And I think when you get that um, and the troubles that everybody is about to go through, um, there are people out there to help people. And, and Matthew, I think, thanks very much for coming on and joining us. And I wish you well as a, as a coach, because after what you've been talking about, I can only see positive things for you, Matt. Matthew Everton, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 